life into that sinner where there was only death. And I love that line. And now I walk into the arms of Jesus Christ. Freely, <coughs> I walk there. That's what God has done for us through His grace. Amazing. We're going to be learning that song next week. So if we can add that to our... The repertoire we have to just encourage us in our, in our faith. So I look forward to that. All right, we're going to turn to God's Word, and as we do, let's pray to help us understand His Word with our hearts. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that we could come together this morning to come and worship Your name. Thank You for songs that we can sing. Thank you for the ability to be able to pray. To know that you are right here amongst us. And that as we pray, you hear those prayers and you answer those prayers. But thank you, Lord, that worship is also the way our hearts come before you. And Lord, you've looked into each one of our hearts with your gaze which penetrates everything. And you can see where our souls are at this morning with you. But Lord, thank you too that part of our worship is hearing what you have to say through your word. And so as we read your word together this morning, Lord, may your Spirit speak to each one of us. We want to be changed. We want to be like Jesus Christ. Because you've said we would be. So do your work in us now, we pray. And Lord, if there's a spirit of resistance in any of us, Lord, take it away from us. May we not resist the work of your Holy Spirit. Because your word also teaches us that you will break through that resistance. And because of your great love for us, you will fetch that erring sheep back into your fold. And you will change us. So do your work now in us, we pray. And may your name be made great as we leave this place with obedient hearts and serve you in this week. In your name we ask this Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We're going to continue in our studies in the book of Colossians, and so I'd ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be reading from where we were last week in verse 15 of chapter 1. And then we're going to go through to specifically verses 21 to 23 this morning as we look at God's Word. So, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He that is Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Amazing words. The firstborn of all creation. 
For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I don't know about you, but um, I love the work restorers do. And um, there's an example, if you just go to the next slide, there's an example here of an old photo that has been restored to its original glory. And just look at it. Broken bits of a photograph, and these restorers have managed to put it together into a photo that is beautiful. I had a guy do a work on an aircraft for me like that, a photo of an aircraft rather, um, a picture of the old Wanganui airfield that I, that I found um, that someone had tipped out on a rubbish dump. I don't usually go scratching for these things, but the photo jumped to me. And so I had this old photo full of scratches, actually made up of two separate photographs, and this restorer took this photograph and he took all the scratches out of it, restored the color in it, and actually joined the two photos together in one beautiful long photo of the Wanganui airfield with all these old gypsy moth aircraft. Those of you who don't know what it is, it's an old one with two wings. Um, and it's a beautiful photo. Probably better than what it was when it was taken. On TV you see uh, examples of uh, people who find um, old crashed airplanes in swamps and then drain them up from there, put them in hangars, fix them up, store them to better than when they were first made because they put new parts and everything in them. Vintage, uh, vintage cars found in old barns covered by chicken poop and stuff like that and it gets taken off, cars restored and there they go in their full glory. Well, we're going to hear how the Lord takes a broken up sinner and recreates us, restores us to full glory, which is lying ahead of us. That's what we're looking at this morning in this passage. It's an amazing passage. You see, the Apostle Paul wanted these Colossian Christians to hear the gospel message and the reality of the gospel message. And so last week we saw how he described who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But it wasn't just to be a lesson in theology. No, with Apostle Paul, as 
was with Jesus before him. It's an intensely personal application of truth that he wants to bring to their hearts. And so he wants to say to these Colossian believers who are under attack from those who would teach them false, a false gospel, they are to live in the light of who Jesus is now for them and God's far-reaching plan of reconciliation. The word reconciliation is to bring together, and we'll look at it now again this morning. And as the Apostle Paul often does, it's a technique he uses, he wants to remind them of what they were and what they are now. Because when you compare the old to what they are going to be, the new, that's when your heart is encouraged. And so I pray that you and I too, as, as hearers of the word in the year 2020, we will also hear what God has done and what he will do so that our hearts too will be lifted up and encouraged. And so Paul firstly describes their past alienation. So if you look at verse 21, this is what he says. And you who were alienated and hostile in your mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. You who once were alienated. You see, before these Colossian Christians, before they had met Jesus and experienced the grace of God in their lives, they were literally estranged from God. There are two parts to being estranged from God. Firstly, there's a stress on they were permanently alienated from Him, says the original. There was a great gulf between them and God. There was no ways that they could bridge that gap. They were alienated from Him. There was a distance between them and God. And that distance was there because of sin. Because God is a holy God. And the second part of alienation is they were actively hostile in their intent towards Him. They weren't just separated from Him, but they were, in the intention, they were hostile to God in their hearts. They didn't want to hear about Him. When we're speaking about the Colossians, think about your own life before Jesus Christ found you. You see, this hostility towards God was not just an external hostility through doing things that God didn't like or that God didn't approve of, because a lot of people think that's all it is. We just do wrong stuff. That's why God doesn't like us. No, it's more than an external hostility. It's an internal condition. It's an internal state of being cut off from God. Their souls were in a state of war against God. Their mind and their inner being with its self-centered God of me attitude, their hearts were the source of this rebellion against God. And wicked deeds were just a symptom of a far greater disease. You see, people do wrong stuff because their hearts are wrong. They can't help it. It's the nature of the beast, literally. And they were suffering from spiritual death. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 2 says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, following 
the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the original condition of man's heart before the Lord finds him. You and I, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Yes, we were committing wrong things, but our hearts were dead before the Lord. And we were following the ways of the world, the course of the world. And who is the master of that? Satan himself. We were slaves of Satan. And because we were slaves of Satan, and Satan, we were dead to the things of God. We've got to feel sorry for, believe, for people who do not yet believe. Because they can't help it. There's a moral inability to believe. And inability, they dead in their hearts. There's no inclination even to believe the gospel. God has to put that there. And that's why His work in us is such a great thing. You see, prior to being born again from above, you and I were in bondage. We were tied up under our sinful impulses. We were tied up to our flesh. We were in a helpless state until the Holy Spirit found us and started opening blind eyes and started giving hearing to deaf ears and started stirring life in a stony heart, a heart which wouldn't and couldn't hear the gospel message. We need to be reminded of where we were, people, because we forget. And even more than that, God's punishment for our rebellion was hanging over our lives. And that was an eternal separation from God. Eternal death was hanging over us. That's where we were. But praise the Lord, the verse doesn't end there. Verse 22 says this, You ones who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, this is what Christ has done. This great one we looked at last week, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Wow. There's the miracle of the new birth. He speaks about the present reconciliation with God. He, it had to take an act of God to change where you were. It had to take an act of God to change that dead human that I was to be one who is alive in Him. And so Christ took on flesh. Why does he specifically mention the flesh part? You see, one of the uh, false teachings was going around in the Colossian church, and not just the Colossian church, but other of the New Testament churches, was that matter is evil. And so they taught, that's why you need a, an angelic mediator. You need, you need a mediator who is not made up of matter, to come between you and God. Matter is evil. That's what they were teaching. And that's why Christ cannot be the real Redeemer because He took on a body. So He isn't the real Savior. You need mediators. That's what they were starting to teach. Later on, the, the Gnostics, spelt with a G, G-N-O-S, 
P-I-C-S. The Gnostics took up this teaching and they refined it even more. Matter is evil. The Essenes took up this teaching as well. They were a sect kind of in the time um, of when the Apostle Paul was writing. They also took up this teaching and developed it further. And so they isolated themselves from matter, from the world. And they concentrated on their spiritual lives. And they disdained their physical lives. In many of the Catholic religions, a lot of the um, holy men, the priests and the people who isolate themselves in little communities, they disdain the body. Some of them even use flagellation to whip their body into submission because it's evil. See, that comes from this false teaching. So he mentions Jesus Christ, the God-man, took on flesh and became a man like you and then died for you. You don't need a mediator. He is your mediator. God in His grace, grace is undeserved mercy and kindness. God in His grace brought a change about in these Colossians. And the Apostle Paul wants to remind them of this. God created spiritually dead soul and then God brought them together with Jesus brought them together with God he reconciled them to himself Jesus Christ reconciled us to the father we looked at this last week what does the word reconcile mean it's also two parts to it reconcile is is a decisive act blood had to be shed in the place of sinners, to pay for sin. Blood had to be shed so that the curse for sin could be lifted. And also the second part, it had to be a once for all act, never again to be repeated. When Jesus Christ died, He reconciled us to the Father once and for all. It's not going to be repeated in history again. A once-off act. And what did it result in? The reconciliation, peace with God. The state of war was cancelled, done away with. There is peace with God again. That's what Jesus Christ has done. But it doesn't end there, praise the Lord. He did this, why? He did this so that He could present them before Himself, holy, without blemish, unchanged chargeable before his searching and penetrating gaze. That's what that verse says. You see, the word used here is a legal term. He reconciled them to the Father so that he could present them before himself. Present them, legal term. It speaks about a court of law. Romans chapter 14 verse 10 says that we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. We will be presented before the judgment seat of God. Who by? By God Himself. God will put us before God to be judged. And by reconciling us, when we stand before the Lord in the, at the judgment seat, we will be presented holy. That's the amazing thing He's done in us. Those who once were separated to evil and death will now be separated to God. And separated from the old lifestyle. 
we will be made holy. And when we stand before the Lord, we will be presented holy. Now I know when you think about your present life now, I know my life, so many shortcomings the Lord is still busy working on in our lives, right? But perfected that work, He will present us completely holy before His judgment throne. There will be a separation from worldly defilement and the evil that was in us. We'll be without blemish. That word is an Old Testament animal sacrifice ring to it. The perfect animal was found, and that perfect animal, without a blemish, without a mark on it, one without a defect on it, was presented as a sacrifice animal on behalf of the people. Well, one day the Lord will present us without blemish before Him. Holy, without blemish, and also, it's not finished yet, unchargeable. There will be no finger of accusation which can be pointed against us, His people. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we will be made perfect in Him. Does that do something for you? Why is that so important? Because when we stand before the judgment throne of God, His searching and penetrating gaze will look into our souls where nothing can be hidden from Him. And if the slightest bit of sin is found there, He's a holy God, we will be condemned to eternal death. But because of Jesus' work in us, Every single little bit of sin in any sinful state will be taken completely away. And when his penetrating gaze looks down into our souls, he will see perfection because of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Man, you Baptists are hard work. You see, this was their hope. These Colossian Christians were struggling with these false teachers. Some of them are starting to doubt and starting to believe these lies and starting to think they need something else and Jesus. But Paul's saying, no, you only need Jesus Christ. Look at everything He's done for you. In, look at where you were. Look at what He's done for you now before the Lord. He has reconciled you with God. What does that mean? He's making you holy. He's making you without blemish. He's making you unchargeable before His penetrating gaze. He's at work in you. Now hold on to Jesus Christ alone. You see, it's all about transformation, restoration, perfection. When you look in the mirror, you know there's a lot of work to still be done, right? And every day seems to get worse. The Lord is going to take a miracle to restore me. But it's all about the Lord making us perfect before Him. And the Christianese word we use is the word sanctification. He makes us to be more like His Son over time. So take heart. It is still going on in you, right? And so that's where we get to our third point. Future glorification, verse 23. This is what we aim towards. I'll just start at verse 22. 
He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, you need to hear what I'm saying. The moment you became a believer, the moment your heart was given new life, Christ did a work of perfection in you already. He took you from a state of being a sinner before God to being saved by grace. Immediately, right there, it's done before God. When God looked at you there, He saw you a perfect, saved sinner before His throne. Why? Because Christ had brought you from a state of death and darkness into life. So there's that perfection. It's already happened. But now in reality, in our human bodies, we are walking towards that perfection. He is making us perfect in our ways before Him too. In our standing, in our status, we are already perfect. But in our walk before Him, we've still got to catch up. I'm trying to simplify this. That's what the sanctification's all about. And that's why there's a response called of for you and me. We are called to also work with the Lord in this process. It's already done, but not yet. He's already made us in Christ, but we need to strive towards what He is doing with us. And that's why He uses this phrase, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. God has done the work in us, but there's human responsibility now as well. We are to be Christ followers. Immediately when you see that, if you continue in the faith, the question comes, so can I lose my salvation? Can a person who's once a believer lose their faith? Many people haven't answered this question properly and have walked away. So can someone who's saved lose their salvation? And the answer is emphatically no, because there are other sections in Scripture that would then be untrue. So it can't be what this little word if means, as in doubt. And the answer for us is in Greek. And I'm not going to go to the Greek. I'm going to tell you what the two Greek words mean. There are two different little words for the word if. The one is ian, which is uh, a form of the word if, which means it's something's baseless, it's hypothetical, and a future possibility. For example, I may visit you if I'm around. You can't get more vague than that. That's the one meaning of the word if. But that's not what he's meaning here. There's a different word. And that's the word A, E-I. And that word is, I will visit you if I come. It is, I'm definitely coming. And part of the evidence that I'm coming is, here I am. 
it's not just in assuming you will continue to live by faith, but it's evidence of your true faith. He's saying, the evidence is if you continue in your faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, by the very doing of that, you are showing evidence that you are saved. It's a continuum that he's describing there. That's what that if means. It's a not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Now, the, the Colossians understood that really well, that word not shifting, because they lived in an area which is very earthquake prone. I don't know if you felt it um, earlier this morning, but they really got it in Colossae. They were right on a fault zone too. And so we can kind of identify. But they saw whole buildings shifted. Think Napier. That's the word used here. It says don't shift from the hope of the gospel. What does he mean? What he means is that when you were born again, you were established in the faith. What does that mean? It's also an earthquake word. It's a foundation word. You were put on a firm foundation. What foundation? You were put on the rock. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? Well, we looked at that last week. This amazing God, this all-powerful God, the creator God. You were established in your faith when you believed in that gospel. You were placed on an unshakable foundation. And now he says, Allow that spiritual stability to enable you to remain steadfast in your daily walk. You see, you just need to carry on walking the Christian life and remain in Christ. And if you've got Christ in you and you remain in Christ, your walk will be stable. You won't doubt your faith. Because He's, he's in you. You will be able to face every adversity and false teaching which comes your way because you're established in the faith. Your feet are on the rock which cannot be moved, Jesus Christ. And so he says, don't move from the hope of the gospel which has come to you. And when you look at the, the literal translation there, it says, don't move from the hope of glory which has come to you in the gospel. What is the gospel message? It is the message of the glory that is available through the working of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ, so that you could be died, so that you could be saved to an eternity with Him in glory. Don't shift from that gospel to a false gospel which others will present to you. You see, this is what these Colossians were struggling with. And it wasn't just them. In our men's group, we're looking at the book of Titus, written to believers on the island of Crete. They were having the same struggle. False teachers coming in. The Galatians were having the same Judaizers in their midst. They were struggling with this. The Thessalonians were struggling with this. The Colossians were struggling with the same thing. So it says... Stand on this gospel. And it's not just you alone who's going through the struggle. He says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
Stand firm in it. You're not alone. Other believers are going through the same struggles. Right, let's cut to it. What's the bare bones of this message to them? He's saying to them, you, Colossians, Jesus Christ reconciled to God. Why? To present you holy before him. If you continue in the faith as evidence of what he's done. Stand firm. So speaking about our holy status before God catching up, uh, sorry, our living everyday standard of holiness catching up with our status of holiness before the Lord. Okay? So how does that happen? I need to go and do, break all the rules and go to another book to see how we do that. So I'm going to go to Titus chapter 2. If you just flick there, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. If you haven't got that, I've got it on the overhead over here. It's what our men's group has been studying this last week. How do we live this holy life before the Lord? There's only one way, my friend. If you're going to try holy life yourself, you're going to fail from the word go. Because all you're going to be able to hold on to is good intentions. You know how it is at the beginning of the new year? You start with all these good intentions and then they fizzle out quite quickly. Well, holiness works a lot like that. We try and live holy lives before the Lord. And if we're trying to do it ourselves, we're trying to be good Christians, we're going to fall over because we're all weak human beings, right? And so the only way we can do this is through God in us to be able to do this. And that's this word grace. It's His grace in us which enables us to live holy lives before Him. What is His grace? Here it is in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared. Hey, we're back to Jesus Christ again. He was the, the epiphany, which the bright light which came into the world then and brought this gospel message. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, all those who would come to Him. Here's the grace of God at work. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The only way you're going to live a holy life before the Lord is if the Lord's grace itself trains you. If you spend time in His Word and allow the wisdom in God's Word to reach your soul, his grace will make it active in your life. His goodness on your life. And He will train you to renounce ungodliness. The word there is to turn away from with violence ungodliness. To turn your back on it. To leave it and forsake it, the old catechism said. To put it behind you. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Those things which really take my attention sometimes, which look so good. But the Lord has to turn my heart away from. And His grace teaches us to live upright, self-controlled, godly lives in the present age. He wants us to live amongst the world and through His grace to show them what it's like when God changes us gradually. The world sees that. The world sees that we are different. And that speaks to them. It's not our good lives. It is God's grace which changes our lives, which grabs the attention of the world. And they say, why are you so different? 
Why didn't you go into a panic during lockdown? What's different about you people? You actually wanted to get together with other believers and spend time together, but you could catch COVID. You see, it's this grace of God which speaks to the world around us. It's the same grace which is going to speak the message of salvation to them as we live in a post-COVID society now with lots of big questions around. My security is tied up in what I have in the bank. My security is tied up in my body and how well I am. After that, and now COVID's come along and security has been shaken. Big earthquake. And people are asking questions. I've heard several of those questions this week. Why did all this stuff happen to us? What had happened if I died under COVID? What then? People are asking. And we need to be in the world showing them the grace of God. And why did He do this? Our Savior Jesus Christ, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. We are made into His own possession. When we stand one day before the throne of God, Jesus Christ stands there for us. And He says, These belong to me, my Father. I died for them. They are a precious possession of my kingdom. And the Father will recognize the work of the Son on our lives through the blood which covers us. We've just looked at that this morning. And we'll go because of Jesus Christ. We are His treasured possession. And while we, do, while we are on this earth, He makes us into those who are zealous for good works. That word zealous is the same word that is used way back in the book of Isaiah, where it speaks about the zeal of the Almighty will accomplish these things. Wow. The zeal of the Almighty will accomplish His purposes through our lives for His sake. The same God does it in us because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so I'd, I'd ask you this morning, be encouraged when you find yourself falling again for yet again the same old thing I've been struggling with for years. Don't give up. Continue in the gospel you've heard. Continue to depend on the grace of God in you. He will change you fault by fault. Struggle by struggle. And when you look back on your life over the years, you will find there is a change. It's slowly happening, but there is a change because God is at work in me. And one day, we will be with Him in glory and we will be perfect then. We look forward to that day, right? So don't give up now. Step by step, through the strength that He gives and the grace He gives, we become more like Jesus Christ. Don't let Satan, as I saw this past week with a dear believer friend of mine, don't let Satan say to you, yeah, but what about all those other sins you committed in your past life? You really think God's going to forget those things? Because that brings discouragement, disillusionment. Don't let him trick you into that. Jesus Christ died for you. He will perfect you. Because you are his treasure. Let's pray.
Lord, we shudder to think what would have happened if your grace hadn't found us. If we'd carried on our lives in this world thinking that we were happy with all the things that this life has to offer us, thinking that we could fill our empty souls with the pleasures of this world. And when we reach the end of our lives to find out before your judgment throne, with terror, it had all been in vain. Lord, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you found us when we were in a state of rebellion against you, running away from you with our fists in the air. You found us. You put life in our souls. You brought light into darkness. You recreated us, regenerated us, and gave us new life. And then, Lord, with our status before you as saved in Christ, you started working on our lives and bringing our everyday walks into line with what you'd have for us, making us like you, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your great patience with us. Thank you that every time we stumble, you don't write us off, but you forgive us you patch those wounds and you help us to learn and to get up and to walk again. And you help us in every single one of those steps. Thank you, Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, not just that, you take an imperfect vessel like we are and you use us for your kingdom's sake in our society. And around us, our friends, our colleagues can see someone who, yes, is struggling with some issues of life, but, Lord, there's hope. And that hope of Jesus Christ and that grace at work in us is what gives testimony to the gospel message and the hope that is available to them too. Thank you that you use imperfect clay vessels like us for your purposes. You are a great God, a merciful God, and we give you praise. Lord, help us in our walks this week not to try and strive in our own strength, but to lean on the name of Jesus Christ, the one who is right in us, the one who works through us, to not just change us, but to bring that change to those around us. Thank you, Lord, for your great work of redemption. We give you praise. Amen.